always a joy to hear our children sing. Uh, when they learn to honor the word, it always brings joy to my heart. Honestly, I'm so thr- thrilled when those little ones sing, talk about the word. See, you never underestimate our children. No. Don't, Jesus says, don't stop the children from coming to me. For such as, you know, never, never give up on children. Doesn't matter how they might seem now, but one day, if you continue to sow, you will reap a harvest if you do not lose heart. Amen? I tell, I tell you that because um, just recently, we had, um, we have a, ch- we have a student in our school, I mean, when he, he really, really struggled, you know, he really struggled to concentrate and struggle hard to do well. Uh, but I, I always had a, uh, a liking toward him just because I knew there was some kind of a spark in the kid. And then, um, a few months back, he solved the Rubik's Cube on, by himself, okay? <laughs> and I asked him to give a demonstration the other day in our school, and he solved it within 25 seconds. <laughs> and he said, tell me what flag do you want, I'll show it, okay? I was stunned when I looked at that, and he said, Pastor, Pastor he calls me, sir, sir, it's very easy algorithm, sir, R, U, R prime, U prime. I said, oh, 11-year-old kid. He says, I learned the algorithm from you, I said. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I was really, really thrilled to see how God works. You know, we never underestimate. Just keep sowing and you'll see the giftings of God coming out. And you will be thrilled when you see that ch- those children. Okay. Amen. So this, having said that, let's pray this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Father. Yes, Lord. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you for the word that was broken on the cross because we broke the word so that we could be reconciled to God. Thank you. And I pray, Father, that Lord, the same word which became flesh this morning, even through the preaching, will become life, even as we receive it by faith. Anoint us this morning to hear, to speak, to obey what you have to say to us. This last hour of time, grant us grace, Lord. We need more of your grace and more of your anointing, not less, Lord. Truly, Lord, without your spirit, we can do nothing. We acknowledge it, Lord. We are absolutely helpless. For you said, Lord, it is not by might, but by, not by power, it is but by my spirit. And I pray, Father, we need more of your anointing in the days to come. And therefore, I pray, Lord, we will be in a position, a place, Lord, where we could receive your anointing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come at this time into your hands. Speak to our hearts and prepare us through your word. Equip us, exhort us, encourage us so that we can walk in that straight and narrow path. And finish the race that you have set for us on this side of eternity. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we've been talk, looking about discipleship now. If any man wants to come after me. The beginning of the year I was um, meditating on the word and I was asking the Lord for a word for my, for me especially, just for me particular, one particular promise just for myself. And in, I mean, he gave me a promise and uh, was talking about that he'll make, me, he'll make me fruitful in terms of making disciples. You know? Then I was thinking about it. Lord, that is a promise that you gave me, but how do I become a person who will make disciples? And meditating upon that, and of course we've been on a series as to, on, on discipleship, if any man wants to come after me, has desire to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily. So that's the theme that we've been uh, looking at. And you see that's so closely connected to every area of our life. We want to be fruitful in God's vineyard. There is one simple yet simple principle in terms to understand, but very difficult in terms to follow. And that is something which I want to introduce this morning. Let's read from Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 18. And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said, follow me. Okay. Everybody say that? Okay. And I will make you. Okay, so that's, that's, that, that's the point, you see. You want to become a disciple maker? You cannot become unless he makes you. You see. And, and how do we become a disciple maker or a person who's fruitful in God's vineyard? In whatever sphere of, it, of, of influence that we are in the church or wherever we are in our workplaces or in our colleges, etc. The principle is to follow him. And then he will make us fishers of men. And I like the response, no? They immediately left their nets and followed him. No, man, that didn't happen. I don't believe it happened in this incident because um, at least in Peter's life, I mean, at least there are, if, if I look at the scripture, I find at least two callings, minimally. Remember, uh, John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then it says, the scripture says, they heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Remember that? Okay. And then Jesus turns and asks them, what do you seek? And they say, Rabbi, where do you live? And of course, um, come and stay, he says. And that night they stay with him. And the next day morning, one of the guys who hears John speaks and follow Jesus is Andrew. And who's he? Si- uh, yeah, Simon Peter's brother. Hmm? No, he... Simon Peter's brother, he comes to Simon Peter and he says, we, we found the Messiah. So he brings, Andrew brings Peter to Jesus and introduces Jesus to him, rather, Jesus to Peter, Peter to Jesus. And uh, Peter looks, I mean, Jesus looks at uh, Simon and he says, you are Simon and now you, you'll be called Peter, which means a stone. I mean, that's the first time you hear, I believe, that's the, in, in chronological order, that's the first time. But, you know, I don't think they took that very seriously. I believe it was, Peter was this, uh, is, it was this, uh, was the leader of the of the of the of the of the bunch, and he had a very uh, what do you say, uh, influencing voice in the in in uh, among his friends, right? So I, I don't know if uh, P- 
Peter is younger to Andrew or Andrew is younger to Peter. I'm not sure about the age difference, but uh, you re- immediately see that they don't leave everything and they are not with Jesus anymore. They go back to their fishing. Okay. You'll see that. They go back to fishing. That's exactly what happened here. And, and you'll see ex- exactly when do they actually immediately uh, leave their nets. They toil all night, it says in Luke's Gospel chapter 5. They toil all night and, f- and what? Catch? Nothing. And then Jesus says, you know, cast your net onto the other side. And then Simon says, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And then Jesus says, you know what? Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And that is when they, they, they leave their nets and follow Jesus, right? So you, I mean, that's how I, uh, I look at it. I could be wrong, but this is how I, um, I, I read, uh, the word in that sense. Nope. So the principle, however, is to follow him. In order to, f- that, that is, essentially the entire new covenant the new covenant is not a set of relation a set of rules as we heard we've seen this in so many paradigms in so many teachings of our church the new covenant is a relationship with a person and to follow him to be led by his voice to be led by the spirit and to look at his example and follow in his footsteps that is essentially new covenant it's it's the person of jesus christ okay Law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and that is what we—that is whom we follow. We don't follow a—we don't follow a what, we follow a who, a person. It's not a—it's not an idea or a set of rules. It is a person that we are in contact with, in, in relationship with, and we follow his example. So this is essentially the paradigm. You'll see another example. I'm just showing you a few examples here, just to uh, put the message in, into context. Uh, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. I mean, apparently this is not just uh, any ordinary tax office. This is a toll booth, no? You know, um, taxes you pay once in a year. Okay, so once in a year you make your money, right? But toll booth, every day. <laughs> so this guy was at the <laughs> at the toll booth, and whoever was passing by the gate, he was he was charging him money, right? So uh, so that is when Jesus calls him. So he leaves that high income job and follows Jesus. Okay, so in 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 uh, being a disciple, there's so many things we have to leave. Okay, we have to hear, we have to leave. We have to follow. That is the paradigm. Okay. So I'm not going to do into, into that. I'm, I'm going to, sh- I want to primarily look at what we need to follow in Jesus. That's what I want to look at today, this morning. And how do we become those people who follow him in the way that he has shown us? So I'm going to look at a passage on First Peter chapter two, a very familiar passage. And I'm going to, from that particular passage, draw out lessons as to how we become a follower of Jesus. Alright, so let's read First Peter chapter 2, a very famous passage. All of us know it. Let's read it. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should what? Follow his steps. Now he's is in you, is showing you what those steps are. What what did he do? It's a life that he's showing. It's not just showing uh, the trajectory that he that he took. It's the life that he that he lived out in front of his disciples before his disciples, who committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. 
who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously this is the life that we are supposed to follow and you look at that and he says <laughs> impossible i mean you, can, you 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 cannot you cannot possibly look at this and say you know what who where is the person who has never committed a sin you know jesus was the only person who could openly challenge everybody can any one of you here it's, it's 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 found in john's gospel chapter 8 can any one of you here convict me of sin till today nobody whenever they think about jesus they always have good to think good things to say okay you are god okay they may not say is god but boy is righteous god right so who committed no sin there was no deceit in his mouth. That means there was an absolute transparency in his life. Nothing to hide. So absolutely guileless, transparent person. Anybody here? <laughs> when he was reviled, he did not revile. I mean, think about that. Think about that. The, how many of you have the urge to retaliate? Oh yeah. We cannot tolerate our children, much less our enemies, enemies, no? The urge to retaliate. When he was reviled, I mean, think about that. Now, if you come down from the cross, then we, then we will believe you. You saved others, now you cannot save yourself. Oh, come on, save yourself, show us. Not reviled. When he suffered, he did not threaten. I'll, Deklotim, I mean, he didn't say that. No Deklotim, okay? When he suffered, he did not threaten. And then he said, he committed himself. Think about it, no? If you were looking at the, the, the scene on, on Good Friday or, I mean, Passover day, when the lamb was slain. Okay. There were three crosses. And the Bible says that he was, he was, what is that? Numbered among the transgressors. So criminal number one, criminal number two, criminal number three, that is in the eyes of the world. And he, and he never said, you know what, I'm not a criminal. He never ever tried to justify himself. He never ever tried to say, you know what, I am not what you think I am. No, 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 no. I did not do anything. He never said that. He never ever tried to justify himself. He allowed the vindication to come from God. Why? That is the life that we are supposed to follow. What is that? He committed no sin. We commit sin every day. He never, he had a transparent life. He never deceived with his tongue or his looks or even in his disposition, there was no deception. He spoke plainly. Then when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was, when he suffered, he did not threaten. But, and he never, ever, ever tried to justify himself even after his resurrection. Do you, do you know that? He never showed himself to Everybody in the world. He never showed himself, went to the top of Jerusalem and he said, you know what, this is the resurrected Christ. No. He did not. He only showed himself to the disciples. You see? Uh, that is a life we are supposed to follow. How do we get such a life? <laughs> see, we have to follow this, Baba. Because I told you, you know, we are not talking, we are not talking about a set of rules and regulations. No, 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 no. 
although there are rules and order, there's order in Christian life, but what we are looking at is a person. First Peter chapter 2 goes on to say, as to how we can do this, it gives you a, a solution to the problem that we have in our hands. This life is impossible, absolutely. Nobody said it was possible, but look at what it says. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness. Okay, this is the life. Dead to sin and what? Live for righteousness. That is the life. And what is that righteous life? We're talking about that, no? What is the righteous life? He committed no sin, no deception in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was, when he suffered, he did not threaten. And he committed himself to the one who will judge righteously. He committed all vindication and justification into God's hand. You know, people say, justified by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. You do not have, there is such a deep meaning in that. What does it mean to be justified by faith alone? You are never trying to justify yourself. The first person who was justified by faith was Jesus. Who justified him? God. How did he justify him? By raising him from the dead. He allowed that. So, how do we get this life? By whose stripes or wounds we are healed. For you were like sheep going astray. The word for astray is to be deceived. Okay? Deceived. Going astray. Different translations, no? To err. Okay, error means to get to go into error, to go astray, no? Prone to wander, to wander. That's the same word again. Different uh, renderings of the same word. To be deceived, to err, to wander, to go away from the straight path that you have been shown. Okay, the Bible says, no, when uh, Jesus comes, they come and ask Jesus this hypothetical question about resurrection. Jesus says, you do, you do err because you do not know the scriptures, nor the what? The power of God. So that's the word. For you are like sheep going astray, meaning you are people who are deceived. But how, but now uh, you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Okay, so this is what I want to look at. It starts from here. Verse 25. For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of souls. So, In following Jesus Christ, there are three primary things that have to happen in my life. Anybody who is deceived, you only realizes that he was deceived after he was deceived. While he is being deceived, he is absolutely not aware. The enemy comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. I mean, sometimes you you wonder how you came to this place. Why am I in this situation in my life? Because you were deceived. Okay. Very clear. But the problem point is, unless we come to realization, that is the reason why the first step is to realize that we have been deceived. That is the first step. No. The second step in this following is to return. Turning to God in repentance and in faith. And third is to sub, is to submit ourselves to guidance and governance. These are the three steps one has to follow, or rather one has to 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 uh, uh, implement, if you will, in order to be a successful follower of Jesus Christ in all the ways that He has shown. And I'm going to prove to you from Scripture. 
The first thing therefore we'll start. First, we have to come to a realization that we have been what? Deceived. Okay. What should we come to? A realization that we have deceived. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. How do we deceive ourselves? If we say we have, that we are 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, what, do we, what happens? We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. James chapter 1 verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted. Okay. I am tempted by God. Okay. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And also Bible says that he allows temptation, of course. But with the temptation, he also shows a way of escape. Because he is faithful. Problem is, we are so deceived and blinded, we don't see the way of escape. That's the problem. Okay, anyway. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And it goes on to say, then when desire is conceived, it births sin. And when sin which is full grown brings, brings forth death, do not be deceived. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 10. Look at what it says. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and, and said they always go astray or deceived in their heart and they have not known my ways. Deceive. Okay. There's another deceiver. What's his name? Satan. Look at the meanings. Uh, look at uh, some, some interesting uh, uh, adjectives uh, God uses in the book of Revelation uh, to describe Satan. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan. So four things. The great dragon who intimidates, the old serpent who deceives, the devil who slanders, and the and Satan, the adversary who opposes. And what is he doing? He was cast out, which deceives the whole world. What is he doing? He is deceiving the whole world. That's the reason the Bible says, you know, the God of this age has blinded the eyes of people that they should not understand the gospel. He is a deceiver. That's how he deceived Satan, uh, Eve uh, with his craftiness, no, with his subtlety. So Titus chapter 3, this is the acknowledging of Paul. For we ourselves were, what? Also once foolish, disobedient, and deceived. 3D, okay? <laughs> Alright, or 2D. And then again, in the last days, what will happen in the last days? Second Timothy chapter 3. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Like this is, like, this is Jacob written all over over you know? Look at that, look at the way. This is the crookedness of Jacob. He wants to have the blessing. So the mother gives him an idea. And he tells his mother, Mama, your, your idea is fantastic. But if I implement this idea, I might seem to my father to be a deceiver. Think about that, no? Think about that. I might seem to my father to be a deceiver and I might get a curse rather than a blessing. In other words, he's, he's absolutely okay with the idea. So who encourages uh, jo, uh, Jacob in, the, in his deception? Madam Rebecca. That's what I call Rebecca teaching. What is Rebecca teaching? It is okay, brother. Okay, my son. I will take the blame. You go ahead with the idea. Instead of confronting him, she endorses his deception. Okay. So, what do they do? They are deceived 
they are being deceived and they also continue to deceive. So Jacob tried to deceive and for 20 years his mama nicely deceived. 10 times he changed his wages. And he was trying to deceive his mama. Mama was trying to deceive, his, de- deceive him. And the whole house is full of deception. So, how do we come to a realization therefore? My, see, the point is, how do we realize that I'm being deceived, right? See, there's only one person who can show that you're deceived. And make you realize. That is what we call the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will lead you to all truths. He will not speak of himself. So what does he do? He brings conviction to the preaching of the word. And he shows you the way you are. That's the reason why it says in James chapter 1, in order to escape deception, in order to escape these lies, in order to come to the, to the realization that I am deceived, this is what has to happen. James chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, otherwise you deceive yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who observes his face or rather his natural face in the mirror. Okay? For he observes himself. He is not like a woman. He is like a man. The word that is used is aner. Aner. It's not like a human being. Okay? Uh, That would have been anthropos. Anthropos means both man and woman. Here aner means man. You know how how long men uh, stay before the... Before the mirror, right? How many? How, how long? Maybe three or four minutes maximum. Cut, 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 cut. It's done. Okay. Women spend a little more time. Okay. So I was driving from uh, church of uh, my home to church. Just entering into the exit, and my wife turned the rear view mirror, and she said, "Just, just before I get enter into church, I said, Baba, that's the rear view mirror. Please leave it alone. I need to take a turn.'" So women spend quite some time before the mirror. So that is how you have to spend even as men. What which mirror? The natural mirror. And this mirror is called the perfect law of liberty. Now when I was growing up in my in my intermediate days when I was preparing for uh, the IIT exam, uh, three I's exam, okay? Three I exam. One of my favorite subjects in physics was optics. Oh, I loved optics, especially what we call as geometrical optics. Geometry optics, geometrical optics. Because light has, you know, everybody knows, light has dual nature. It is both an electromagnetic wave and it is also photonic. It is particular and electromagnetic at the same time. Okay. So, one of the things that we were introduced to were mirrors. And we used to, we were asked a question as to how the image would look if this is a kind of a mirror that you have, if this is a kind of a glass you have, if this is a kind of a refractive surface that you have, how do you predict the, the, the trajectory of light? Okay. It's ultimately used in optical fibers technology, which is now there everywhere. Your, uh, act fiber net is all optical fiber technology. Okay. It's all based upon optics. Okay. Reflections. Light and reflections. Your camera, everything is, is, and I, I still love it. One of my favorite courses, favorite subjects in physics was, was optics. No, we were, we were introduced to different kind of kinds of mirrors. See, some mirrors make you look 
call as gym mirrors. You know, you find those gym mirrors in gym. When you go to the gym, even though you have a pot belly, it'll make you look long. We call it, we call it larger than life mirrors. So that kind of a mirror, I call it a flattering mirror. What mirror? See, if you come, you want to come to the realization that you are deceived, you need to have a perfect law of liberty kind of a mirror. But unfortunately, there are several kinds of mirrors. The problem, the first kind is what, what I call the flattering mirror. What is this mirror? Makes you look larger than life. I remember, I mean, recently only I was listening to an interview. There was this ad company who went to Salman, Salman Khan. They wanted him to endorse his project, product. Mr. Dabang. And he told them, you want your product to sell. Do not make me look like an ordinary man in your ad. Make me look like Dabang. Otherwise, people will not accept it. Larger than life. That is what we call as a flattering mirror. You look long. You look handsome. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? Me. Psalm 36. Look at what it says. I have a message from God. (laughs) Thank God. I'm not saying that the psalmist is, okay? (laughs) I like that. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. What is there? What is not before his eyes? No fear of God. In other words, there is a mirror which is not creating any fear of God in his heart. Right before his eyes. What is there before his eyes? In their own eyes, what do they do? They flatter them too much to detect or hate their sin. There is no detection of sin and therefore there is no hatred for sin. It's like a diagnosis going wrong. You have sugar. Fasting sugar is like 120. But the result shows 91. And you're thinking, fantastic. What is it? They flatter themselves too much to detect or know their sin. Why? Their words of their mouth are wicked and what? Deceitful. They have, they fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Why? Before their eyes, there is no mirror which causes the fear of God. What is that mirror? The flattering mirror. Everything is okay with you, brother. You are the righteousness of God. So how are you living? Like the devil? Or you compare. You're, you're having wrong standards. Luke's Gospel chapter 18. Look at what it says in Luke's Gospel chapter 18. This is the Pharisee who goes to the temple to pray. We know this now very well. He spoke this parable to someone who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. <laughs> who told you, Baba? <laughs> who told you? Who told you? God gave you that certificate. And despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed. Dust with himself. God, I thank you. I thank you. That I am not like. Who's your mirror? Other men. And what do other men do? They either flatter you. Or they do something else. Other men. Extortioners. Unjust. Adulterers. Or even as this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. Can you imagine? The very purpose of fasting is to make you humble. How do you humble yourself? Through fasting. This fellow fasted and became proud. Remarkable, isn't it? It's like this, no? A guy who got the badge that he is the most humble fellow in the class. And the next day, they took away the badge because he wore it. You didn't get it. He wore it. Meekest man on earth. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. Of all that possess. Okay. You see that? And you know what happened, right? Another place. John's Gospel chapter 5. I do not receive honor from him. This is Jesus saying. But I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my father's name. And you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name. And flatters you. You receive him. (laughs) That's the point. How can you believe? Who receive honor from one another. And do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. See, that is the reason why in the, in the book of Proverbs, uh, false doctrine is connected or is compared to a woman who seduces. With her lips, with her speech. Proverbs chapter 2. To deliver you from the immoral woman. The word for the word for the immoral woman in Greek is chalak. <laughs> chalak woman, okay? From the seductress who flatters with her words. And is there everywhere. Sister, you sang very well. Run from there. Especially if you are a young man, you are a young boy. I tell young people, no? Anybody who flatters you, your post should be like this. What is this? Oh, sorry. This, 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 yeah, this. Yeah, sorry. This is better, yeah? Let this run. This dress looks good on you. Run, <laughs> please. In the office, no? You look very handsome. Run. Who forsakes the companion of her youth, forgets the covenant of her God, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. That is the reason why it says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 5, a man who flatters his neighbor, what does he do? Spreads a net. Okay. That's the reason why if you heard us, I think Friday, pastor was talking about the animal that God compares us to is what? Sheep. Why? Every animal has an intuition. You take a dog, two kilometers away, it will come back. Net. If you spread a net, do you think the pigeons will come? Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 17. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of a bird. <laughs> Even a bird has got br- more brilliance than men. <laughs> they easily get trapped by flattery. See. So first kind of mirrors are flattering mirrors. They make you look long. Okay. They deceive. They seduce. They draw you away. And then there are other mirrors, no? There are convex mirrors, no? Concave mirrors, you know? How do they make you? They look, make you look, what? Small. What are these kinds of mirrors? They discourage. They're discouraging mirrors. Always bring condemnation, condemnation, good for nothing, hopeless, useless, etc. 
you are a worm, you will continue to be a worm and you will remain a worm. No, 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 no. Jacob is a worm. Okay. Jacob was a what? A worm. But when he died, how did he die? Israel. He died as Israel. You should see the death of Jacob. Jacob died. Israel was buried. That's what it says. Israel was buried. Israel was buried. Israel was buried. What are these condemning thoughts? Condemning messages. Condemning voices that discourage you. They make you look small. They make you, you make, they make you feel you are absolutely useless. Let me, let me show you a, 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 a verse in Zechariah chapter 3. This is, this is according to me. The gospel according to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to what is he doing? He's opposing him. How is he opposing him? He's accusing him. He's called the accuser of the brethren. You know, this is God says, no, have you seen my servant Job? What is he doing? He's appraising him. He's giving a giving him an appraisal immediately. You know what? Satan says, ah, do you think that fellow is he's honoring God for nothing? Take away his blessing and he'll curse you to your face. Is there anybody in the household of Saul, uh, Saul who, to whom I can show mercy for the sake of Jonathan, my friend? Yeah, there is a guy called Mephibosheth. He, pl- he stays in a place, place called Lodabar. But he's lame. Why the detail? No why? Condemning thoughts. So what does the Lord do? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. What is this? This is the accusation, condemning messages, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that? It only brings what? Conviction. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10, I heard a voice saying, now salvation and strength and kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So this is another kind of mirror. What is this? Make you look small. Then, so we have flattering mirrors, we have condemning mirrors, and then you know what? When you, how many of you have seen a spoon? Okay, when you look at yourself in the spoon, what kind of an image do you get? Inverted. Yes, 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 yes. What I call as inverted mirrors. What do they do? They revise the standards. And I have a Bible called Revised Standard Bible. And what is this Bible? What is the standard they make look, make, they call evil? What? Uh-huh. Let me show you. Isaiah chapter 5. Woe to those who call what? Evil good and good evil. Darkness light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Okay. What are they? They are completely inverting the standards. Then there is a fourth kind of mirror. What I call, so we have flattering mirrors, they have condemning mirrors, we have inverted mirrors or inverting mirrors, and then we have distorted mirrors. What are they? They have unclear standards. You know, they make you look fat and short, long and thin. They distort the image completely. There's no clarity over there. How uh, Paul describes this, these kinds of uh, mirrors in First Timothy chapter one verses six to seven. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, strayed or being deceived, have turned aside to idle talk. What do they do? Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they confidently affirm. They do not know. 
Now, P.S. Swami, one of my favorite uh, preachers in Telugu, you know, he says there are three kinds of uh, uh, false teachers, I mean, uh, unclear teachers. No? There is one Mr. Welding, Reverend Welding. His name is Reverend Welding. What does he do? He takes one, one verse from here, another verse from here, and he welds them. No connection. Then there is Reverend Jumping. Reverend Doctor Jumping. He starts with one verse and he keeps on jumping from this place to that place to this place to that place. No clear. Not, no clarity. And he says there are third kind of preachers. We call him Reverend Vomiting. What do they do? They memorize some, some message from the YouTube and they regurgitate it. Unclear. Unclear standards. So that's the reason why 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 8 and 9 says, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? You see? So likewise, you unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. That's what happens, no? Sometimes the messages will go, above. It's gone. Bouncer. <laughs> Did not even touch me. See? Unclear standards. And then, of course, so we have flattering mirrors, you have condemning mirrors, you have inverting mirrors, you have distorted mirrors, and there is only one kind of a mirror which is called the perfect law of liberty. What do they do? They show you the truth and they also bring grace. That's what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 16, and of his fullness we have all received what? Grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but what came through Jesus, Christ, through Jesus Christ? Grace, not just truth first, grace and truth through Jesus. That is the reason why sinners flocked him. But he never, you know, lowered the standards, he lived out the standards, but he showed them grace. That is the reason why it says Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. You see, we have to speak the truth. And one of the reasons why people don't trust us sometimes is because they don't think that we are welcome. I'm guilty of that so many times. You're aloof. Speak the truth in love. And what do we do? You grow up in all things into him who is there. So he gives, he speaks the truth in love and he allows you to come up to that standards by the Holy Spirit. He is there with us. See, 1 Peter chapter 4, this is very powerful, one of the very powerful verses in the Bible. Look at what it says in 1 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 18. This is verse 8, sorry, not verse 18, verse 8. And above all things have perfect or fervent love one for another. What does love do? Love will cover all multitude of sins. But how does it cover? Is a question. You see, one of the things that you need to do is to compare scripture with scripture. In James chapter 5, it shows you as to how you cover a multitude of sins. James chapter 5 verse verse 19 onwards. Brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, what what happens to him? He's wandering from the truth means he's deceived. What should he do? And someone turns him back. Let him, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save the soul from death and what? Cover 
a multitude of sins. What is he doing? He is speaking the truth with the intention of winning that brother back to the Lord. That is what is the focus and the goal of Jesus. He will never compromise on truth. But he, along with the truth, he says, you know what? You do not have the power. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, who can live up to those standards? It was written, thou shalt not murder. But if you are angry with a brother, you've already murdered. If you call a brother a fool, you are in, 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 uh, in danger of judgment. If you call him Raka, you are in danger of hellfire. Think about it. Let your yes be a yes and no be a no. And that is one of the things that I struggle with with my children, no? Papa, are you coming? I say, I come. I'll come by 7 o'clock and I'm not there. You know what? Sometimes our yes is not a yes. Always something happens, Papa. Always something comes up. Always there's some exigency. Or yes. So that is the truth. But you know what he says? You cannot keep it. So what will I do? I will make you. You see that? Follow me and not you will become. <laughs> I will make you. That is the point. But how does he do it? So, first he makes us realize our need. He makes us realize our need. And then, once he, we, we know that we need him, he fulfills that need. He makes us realize. You see, one of the things in research, to find the problem is half the problem solved. If you know what, you're, what, the, what is the problem you're solving, and if you're able to clearly, that's the reason why, you know what they say, what is your problem statement? And then tell us how you are solving it. So what does God make us do first? He makes us realize our problem. And for that we need what we call as the right mirror. The correct doctrine is needed. And otherwise what we have in these last days, you will have people, they have itching ears. Unfortunately, what will happen to them? They will just turn away from the truth. And the Bible says they make shipwreck of their faith. And be too late for them to realize when they come to the end of their lives. That should never happen with us. The problem has to be detected and it has to be detected at the right time so that remedial actions can be, can be taken. The earlier, the better. So the earlier you start with God, the better for you. That is the reason why I am so, so grateful to God for our children. They have a fantastic start. Phenomenal start. So, first step in order to become a follower of Jesus Christ is to realize that we have been deceived. Once we realize, second, we have to return to God. And how do we do that? Through repentance and faith. You need to understand, even to repent. <laughs> you see, you cannot repent on your own strength, in your own way. God has to grant you the gift of repentance. And he has to grant you the faith in him. Otherwise, that is the reason why salvation is totally 
totally, totally a, a work of God. Look at what it says in Titus chapter 3. Look at what it says. Look at what he says. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the spirit. That's what when Brother Wesley was praying, he was saying, Lord, thank you for the cross. If it were not for the cross, it was there. The mercy of God and the truth of God, the love of God, the truth of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, and the standards and the holiness of God, and the righteousness of God was completely revealed on the cross. Everything on the cross. The kindness of God. When did it appear? On the cross. That is how we return. First Peter chapter 2. Look at what it says. For he himself bore our sins. Right? In his own body on the tree. That we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are what? Healed. You see that? Healing and forgiveness of sins are so intricately connected. Remember? The guy who is brought by those friends. His four friends. Remember? They open the open up the roof and they bring the the man down and Jesus looks at their faith and what does he say? What does he say? Son, your sins are forgiven and everybody is shocked. Let's revisit that. Luke's Gospel chapter 5. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? Answer is which is easier? Everybody says sins are forgiven. No. Rise up and walk is easy. Ah, think about it now. If your wife says something against you, is it easy to forgive? It's okay, my wife only know. How many how many men honestly say that? I have to give her back somehow. If not now, by some other way. Somebody crosses, makes a cross remark. We are waiting for an opportunity opportunity to to retaliate. Very difficult to forgive. That is the reason why we have people get people getting arrested and throwing being thrown out of the parliament. Huh? Very difficult to say, I forgive you. Okay, I forgive you. How can can we ever forgive from our heart? That is the reason why you know what Peter says, he gets frustrated with his brothers, no? <laughs> he says, Master, how many times should I forgive? This fellow is getting on my nerves, Andrew. Such a slow learner. He's getting on my nerves. Seven times okay. Seventy times. Seven. If your brother sins against you seven times a day, and he comes and repents and asks you for forgiveness, what should you do? Forgive. And what do they say? Increase our faith, Lord. It is impossible. Absolutely. It is very difficult to say, I forgive you. He says, that is the reason why the standard is for, of forgiveness is, you know what? Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. So, Jesus is asking the question, guys, tell me, what is easy? I know, you have a story, in, you have a story in your history, Jonah, the unforgiving pros- prophet, he hated the Ninevites. He did not want them to be saved. He went the other way, and finally, reluctantly, 
he was God twisted his arm, took him to Nineveh, he preached and he was waiting for fire to come down from heaven to to consume Nineveh. And what happened? Lo and behold, everybody is repenting. And he is upset that people are repenting. Can you believe that? A prophet is upset because people are repenting. If my people repent, it's okay. Huh? Huh? Think, think, think. If my people repent, I'll be happy. But these Gentiles? No way. You know, I, I remember this, uh, this, this, uh, this incident in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, right? Peter is, uh, I'm sorry, Paul is giving his testimony before his brothers and he starts speaking in the Hebrew language. And he starts giving his testimony and everybody's silent. Remember that? Everybody's silent and everybody is like listening very carefully to his testimony. And step by step by step by step, he's giving him uh, his, his testimony as to how he was apprehended by the Lord. And finally, he says, now the Lord asked me to go to the Gentiles. Everybody is like, Gentiles, they are up in arms and they say, away with this fellow, let us throw him to death. Very difficult to say. Think about even among siblings. Very difficult to say. I forgive you. So he says, no, think about it, no? We fallen sinners whom we have sinned against happily against people and people also happily sinned against us. Okay, no problem. But we also have sinned against people. It is so difficult for us to forgive how difficult it would be for a righteous God who never sinned and always intended the good for his people. How difficult for him to extend forgiveness. So he asked him this question. Asked him this. Is it easy? And then he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins or authority. The other, other translations will use the word authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, rise up and walk, pick up your bed and rise up and walk and immediately he sealed. What? To show, to show that I forgave your sins and an attestation to the fact that I forgave your sins. Rise up and walk now. Praise God. Praise God. That is the reason that the Bible says, why was he able to forgive him? Why did he have the authority to forgive him? He had the authority to forgive him because he laid down his life. And he was going to lay down his life. Why don't we have the authority to to correct our brothers and sisters? Because we do not lay down our life. And that is the reason why Jonathan is so, so upset with Saul. He says, Saul, why are you so cross with David? What did this young man do to you? And you know what he says? He interprets the, 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 the episode with, of David and Goliath. And he says, you know what? This man, David, risked his life to wrought deliverance for our people. And you are unhappy with him? You want to, you want to stone him and want to kill him? No wonder Saul lost his authority. And no wonder David had authority. You know why? Because he was laying down his life. And he had the authority. Look at how the description, the description of the cross is given in, in the old covenant. You know, you see in the New Testament, you don't see how, they don't describe the, the sufferings of Jesus in detail. But look at the description of the cross in the Old Testament. Psalm 129 and verse 3. The plowers plowed on my back. And what did they do? They made their furrows long. (laughs) 
another translation, the International Standard Version. Wicked people plowed over my back, creating long-lasting wounds. Have you seen a farmer plowing his land? He takes that sharp edge and he plows the land. What it makes? It makes a furrow. That's how they lacerated the body of Jesus. Completely made long furrows. The good news translation. Look at what it says. They cut deep wounds in my back and made it like a plowed field. Think about that. And by his wounds we are healed from our sin, basically. First of all, forgiven from our sin and healed from our diseases. So, that is the reason why the Bible says we have to be grafted into Christ. In in order to be grafted into Christ, Christ had to be what? Cut. Was he cut on the cross? Yes, he was cut. And in order to, for us to be grafted into Christ, we have to be? We have to be what? We have to be what? We have to also be cut. To be grafted. Yes. Unless, unless until we are cut, we cannot be grafted into Christ. We have to be cut. It says in the book of Acts, how are we cut? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, you made long furrows on his back, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were what? Cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brothers, what shall we do? What happens? Calls them? Repent. And be baptized. So the first way to get back to following Jesus is the pathway of repentance and faith. Luke's gospel, chapter 7. Luke's gospel, chapter 7. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Why is that? Sa- why is that? Why, why has it saved you? Because you put your faith and your trust in me. And your, and your sins are forgiven. You've been made whole. Go in peace. So this morning, this morning, I want to encourage all of us. Take some time. I mean, even in your mind's eye, through the week, the words that you might have spoken, the things that you might have watched, the time that you might have wasted, the attitudes that you might have had. You can ask God for for forgiveness. He is ready to forgive. Don't hide your sin. Just confess. That is the reason the Bible says, he who hides his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes, what will you obtain? mercy. So the first step, therefore, is to realize that we have been deceived. Second is to return to God in repentance and faith. And then finally, this is the most important thing in following Jesus Christ, where I'm going to spend quite some time, is submitting ourselves to guidance and governance. This is the pathway to discipleship. If you do not submit to God for guidance, for governance. You know what will happen? We will make a shipwreck of our lives. You know, we have com- conducted several wedding ceremonies. You know, we have our standard text that we have printed out for every wedding ceremony. We have a, we have a, a text from which we read. 
you know, one part of the text actually scares me. Okay. This is a holy estate ordained by God at the time of man's innocence. Therefore, nobody should enter into it but lightly or inadvisedly. Okay? Lightly or inadvisedly but reverently, discreetly and in the fear of the Lord. You know, whenever I read that or I hear, hear Pastor James speaking that, I know these the guys who are getting married, you know, they're all, you know, nice, happy, happy when they come and and once they come to the sanctuary and once they come before the Lord, they're not coming before man, they're coming before the Lord. And once we have spoken that, you should not enter into it inadvisedly or lightly, but what? Discreetly, okay, with reverently and in the fear of God. My heart skips a beat and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is serious business. This is serious business. You see, we are married to God. The Bible says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Come to me, all who are, you know, heavy laden. I will give you what? Rest. Then second part. Take my yoke. That's the second part. And what should you do? Learn from me and then you'll find what? Rest your souls for I am meek and lowly. That is what we call as submitting ourselves to guidance and governance. You see, you need both. He's a shepherd who guides and the overseer who governs. He's a shepherd of our souls and the overseer. The word for overseer is a bishop. Okay, Bishop means what? He has oversight over you. Meaning, he observes your life and if you are going, that's the reason why the shepherd has two things. He has a rod and he also has a staff. Staff to, staff to comfort, staff to help, rod to discipline. So we need guidance. And second, what we need? We need governance. Both we need. So submitting ourselves to guidance and governance. And how does that happen? Let's read First Peter chapter 2. The clue is there. Everything is there in First Peter chapter 2. I'm not going away from these two verses that we have. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins so that we will be healed. Right? Okay. But how do we get guidance? That we having died to sins might live for righteousness. That is a life. He died for us on the cross. For my sins, he shed his blood. He made peace with God through the blood of his cross. By his stripes, I am healed. I am forgiven of my, of my sins. But what, what next now? What next? We need to be constantly reminded of the work of the cross. This is what the cross does for us. The cross of Jesus Christ. What does it do for us? It, that it forgives us from the penalty of our sin and redeems us from hell and from destruction. But then the cross also does another thing. What does it do? It delivers me. The cross delivers me. And it delivers me from several things. And I'm going to highlight six important areas from uh, in which the cross will deliver me. So let us read those six things. I have mentioned, we have mentioned it in several contexts, but let us look at it again. Okay, in new light. First, what does it do? It delivers me from my old man so that I yield to God. Second, it delivers me from the law that I might bear, that I might bear fruit unto God. Third, 
It delivers me from the world and makes me true in my inner life. I'll, I'll explain that even as we go. Fourth, it delivers me from the power of this age, makes me live for the age to come. Fifth, it delivers me from the powers of darkness and makes me a witness of the light. That is his light. Sixth, it delivers me from the curse and it makes me a blessing. Okay? It delivers me from the curse and it makes me into a blessing. And let us look at each of these aspects as to what the cross has done for us so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness and follow him. What does the cross do? First, the cross delivers me from what? From my old man. So that what? I may yield to God. You see, this is important. What does the cross deliver me from? It delivers me from my old way of life. From my old nature. From my crooked ways. The old man which is growing increasingly corrupt by deceitful desires or lusts, the Bible says. So, what, what does the cross deliver do? What does the cross do? It delivers me in that it crucifies my old man. My old man was crucified with him on the cross. We have to believe that by faith. So how do we, how do we apply that in our lives? It says in Romans chapter 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And what do we do? We do not present our members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present our members or yield, other translations will use the word, yield our members to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. And what is the primary instrument? Two primary instruments. My ear and my tongue. Two. James chapter 1. Let us look at that. James chapter 1. So then, my beloved brothers, let us, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath or anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see that? He has to, we have to be freed from sin. We have to die to our sin and live to righteousness. So what should we overcome? Our anger. So how do we overcome by, overcome our anger? By Hearing more and speaking less and not getting angry easily. That is the new nature that God has given us. Therefore, in order to do that, what should we do? Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflowed wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to deliver your souls. Okay. So in order to overcome, in order to yield, what should you do? You should receive with meekness. And how do you, what is it, what should you concentrate on? Receiving how? With meekness. That is the reason why when we go through Lent, church, one of the tra- church traditions is we fast. <laughs> I mean, that should be a, not just through Lent, it should be a regular exercise. What is fasting? Fasting? Is a process of making ourselves meek so that we can receive the word of God. Okay. Your Madhya Pradesh has direct correlation with your Uttar Pradesh. This is Madhya Pradesh. What is Uttar Pradesh? This one. Okay. If you win Madhya Pradesh and Uttar Pradesh, you win the election. Okay. So this Madhya Pradesh, for example, 
this is what the practice was for such a for, for some time now on sunday morning i do not have breakfast principle whether i'm preaching or not preaching because i want to be in a disposition of listening to god's word i do not want to fall asleep if you have 20 idlis two plates of upma your madhya pradesh is full and what will happen to your uttar pradesh when you come you falling asleep unless you have a medical issue right you see in our college no we have compulsory uh, what do you say uh, you have to be a, you cannot be a day scholar you have to be a hostler you have to be a person who staying on campus no day scholars in our institute why because our classes started at 8 and the breakfast is ready by 6:30 all you have to do is get up on time have your breakfast and come and the breakfast is very carefully chosen sprouts one glass of milk not heavy and if you have uh, noodles pasta and full heavy meal what will happen when you come to church you follow sir see this meekness meaning what it's a preparation to receive the word think about it no moses i want to give you the law come up moses said you know what i'm going up guys stay here so he says the bible says moses goes up and he stays there and, and the bible says doesn't say you know what jesus god says come up up and be there how long i'll tell you so moses he thought he will just go uh, you know get the 10 commandments and your uh, endless them in his endless them in his diary and come back come down but he goes there for 7 days god speaks nothing he's in the cloud and on the seventh day he hears a voice of god calling him a little more higher and the lord starts speaking and writing the law on the tables of his heart, tables of stone how many days 40 days and 40 nights what is he doing the first ordained fast in the bible for first lent season if you want, if you will moses went on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights he ate nothing and who forced that god the first time he received the law now bible was yesterday our pastor was made a very powerful statement he says the bible is written by the persecuted to the persecuted i mean i was thinking about that if the bible is written by the persecuted to the persecuted how can i understand the spirit of the letter unless and until i have the spirit of with which the person who wrote the bible is writing how do i get that spirit you see it is with meekness you receive meaning what you have a disposition lord here is your servant speak lord your servant is what hearing or listening with meekness and how do we do it we make it a practice you see there if there is not such kind of a preparation in our life what will happen over a period of time it becomes a what do you call a dull exercise 
becomes a weary exercise. We are not excited to come to the house of God. And the worship leader has to whip up. Are you happy today? I am happy today. I am happy today. You will say all those things which are lies. And Christians, as A.W. Tozer says, will not speak lies, but they will sing lies. You know why? Because there is no preparation. See? Therefore, with meekness, what is that? It's an attitude. Speak, Lord. Doesn't matter who is speaking. I am in an attitude of listening to your voice. I want to hear what you have to say. That one word which is going to change the course of my life. I want to hear it. And you know, the Lord knows who is hearing and who is not. The Bible says, Paul preached at Lystra. And after he preached, he looked at one guy who was lame in his legs. And when he looked at him, he saw that he had faith to be healed. He preached. He had, then Paul saw that this guy has faith to be healed. And he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Okay, I preached. God sees who has faith. Therefore, it depends upon how I come to the house of God so that I can attract the attention of Jesus so that he can implant something into my life or impart something to my life. Therefore, hearing is important. Yielding is important. Yielding is important. This is a practical lesson as to how the cross does. Cross of Jesus Christ has worked in my life. What is the proof? I come prepared to listen to his voice. Especially on a Sunday morning. And every day in the morning or whatever time that you have in the day when you spend time with the word of God. Doesn't matter whom you're listening. You listen to that person as if you're listening to him for the very first time. Understand that? Meekness. Receive the word with meekness. It all depends upon that. And why was God able to teach Moses? And how was he able to talk to Moses face to face? You know the Bible says Moses was what? The meekest man on earth. He had an attitude. Lord, I do not know the ways. Your ways. Lord, I am full the wisdom of Egypt. I'm, the, I'm full of the sorcery of Egypt. I'm full of the, of the strength of Egypt. I do not want to rely on, on, those, on those qualities or the, or, the, or, the, or the education that I've received. I want you to start afresh in my life. Receive with meekness. The first thing. Once you receive, then you proclaim. You receive the word. You don't just receive it with your ears. It has to go into your heart. Where does faith come? It comes from your heart. And how does it get expressed? It gets expressed through your words. Especially through praise, prayer and proclamation. We know that, right? Psalm 100. Make a what? Joyful shout to the Lord. Unless and until you are in a persecuted church. Which we are not yet. What should you do? You know what shout is, right? That's what I'm doing, even though I have a microphone. One voice you will definitely hear in the church. Vijay Takota. Whether he is here or there. Because I just do not want to stay in that uh, in the place. And, you know, when, my, when I come to the class, I've always had this attitude. When I go to the class, I go without my notebook. I have only the chalk piece in my hand and my attendance register. Chalk piece. Attendance register. Where is the subject? Here. 
of course i can't do that with the bible because bible is something which is something which i have to recognize and i try to memorize but boy this is revelatory i can never do that but to the class i used to be like that and i want my students attention you know what listen to me and if anybody by mistake falls asleep he has a missile coming at him because see otherwise i'll i'll tell him you know what 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 why are you falling asleep either you did a night out but i did not give a homework okay i did not give homework is it still the first first semester first week or second week maximum so the midterm exam is at least 2 3 weeks away so something you were doing last night okay so you are tired you are not prepared for the class second i am absolutely boring i don't think i am third you are disinterested in the subject why are you here what do you want to become director okay there are several directors you know they want to make movies only they been, they live in movie land so their intention to come to class is no interest you see god sees who has interested who is not who is desperate and who is not <laughs> see i want to be among them who are desperate so he says shout serve the lord how not with a long face what are you doing brother i'm serving the lord <laughs> what are you doing if you are serving the lord please don't serve come before his presence with what with singing know that the lord he is god he was made as not we ourselves we are his people and the what sheep of his pasture and my sheep hear my voice and what do they do now once they have heard my voice and they know that they have been delivered and they have, and they do will not hear the voice of a stranger what should they do the response is praise enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with what praise it is the tongue's use the best use of your tongue is to fill your mouth with praise and thanksgiving every day in the morning start off with that and if you can't pray in normal language you can ask god for the gift of tongues and that will be a fantastic language you're sure you're absolutely sure whatever your whatever whatever is coming out of your mouth is only glorifying god and nothing else you speak mysteries to god the bible says so two things heal your ear heal your tongue okay the first one therefore it delivers me from the old man and so that i can heal second thing it delivers me from the law in in other words i'm delivered from a set of rules now what am i delivered from from a set of rules i'll tell you something <clears throat> the old man and the law are in a unhappy marriage what marriage unhappy marriage they not because the law is bad the law is handsome the law is spiritual the law is perfect but this follow he has not got the capacity or the attitude or the inclination to obey the law but forcefully he has been married to the law it's like a forced wedding my mentor when he was when we were growing up <laughs> to young people used to say vijay vijay i mean vijay and we were all vijay kishan was there you know few few friends he said vijay one of the most important decisions in your life will be to seek a life partner partner 
once you seek a life partner vijay and if you get into the wrong thing there are only two options either you die or that other person dies so be very careful what you choose the problem is just like that no law is what law and the old man is an unhappy marriage because law is good but this old man is like so 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 rebellious he he hates the law the bible says the natural man is what is enmity with the lord romans chapter 7 look at what it says in romans chapter 7 romans chapter 7 verse 4 therefore my brothers you have also become dead to the law through the body of christ that you may be mad what now married to the another to another so you cannot kill the law of course so what should what should be killed the old man has to be killed and how did it happen on the cross jesus died for for us and on the cross my old man was crucified so now what has happened i am delivered from the law i cannot kill the law i am delivered from the law and what what am i i am joined to christ in the spirit so that what will i do now from now on that i should bear what fruit to god christian life is a fruitful life okay but the problem i told you is with the old man galatians chapter 5 verse 17 the flesh lusts against the spirit which is the law of course law is spiritual the bible says and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish because in your flesh in your old man is that old nature so you know what what the lord did he crucified that old man and he also delivered from you, you from the law and now what happens you're joined to christ and now what happens you start bearing fruit to god christian life is a fruitful life that's the reason why the bible says the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit the first thing so let's go on. let's move on no just enumerating them first the law so the cross crucifies my old man so that i yield to god second the the cross delivers me from the law so that i bear fruit to god third it delivers me from the world and makes me true in my inner life bible says in the book of colossians epistle to colossians the bible says paul says through the cross of jesus christ i am dead to the world and the world is what dead to me so what happens now i am not interested in the outward life anymore i am interested in the inward life the inward reality and therefore it says in first peter chapter 3 look at what it says in first peter chapter 3 verse 3 onwards do not let your adornment the word for adornment is world okay be merely outward arranging the hair wearing of the gold or putting of the fine apparel rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of god so what is what is the what does the cross do it delivers you from the trappings of the world what does the world want all external appearance fashions it's all pretense First Corinthians chapter seven. Look at what it says. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse twenty-nine. But this I say, brothers, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none; those who weep as though they did not weep; those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice; those who buy as though they did not possess; and those who use this world as not misusing it for the fashion, or the form, or the pretense, or the lies of this world is passing away. It's a form. It's passing away. You see, this world is passing. Remember, 
Nothing of this world can satisfy you. Nothing. Nothing of this world can satisfy you. Everything under the sun only causes futility and vanity in your life. Has no capacity to satisfy you. If you have, if you have doubts, ask Solomon. You know? Solomon, the most successful man by worldly standards. An absolute wreck at the end of his life. Because nothing satisfied him. Not his money. Not his wisdom. Not his wealth. Not his pleasures that he had. Not his madness. All he had. I was growing up, no? We used to listen to some songs, no? Nakoka girlfriend, Kawali Ra. That is what young people used to say. Nakoka girlfriend, Kawali Ra. And for Solomon, Nako 600 girlfriends, Saripora Ra. 600? 700, 300 concubines, 600 women in his life, and why at the end of his life, nothing could satisfy him. Think about it. Madness. I mean, if we go to YouTube and we listen to some, you know, uh, some performance on YouTube. For Solomon, everything is live. If he wants an artist, he will get a, get a live performance. Everything is live. No YouTube those days. You know what happens at the end of his life? Vanity. Vanity. Absolute vanity. Nothing satisfies him. You know why? Because he was looking at life under the sun. He was not delivered from this world. But you know what the cause delivers? It delivers us from this pretense. It shows us this entire world is absolutely has no capacity to satisfy. Not the success. Not the wealth. Not the wisdom. Everything is futile. Shows you that. And it delivers you from this world. Cross delivers me from this world. Think about it, therefore. How much of the world is inside of us? Hmm? Have we really been delivered? If you think about our example, for example, if we are parents, what do we think about our children? My child should be the best that he can for the Lord. So, Lord, I want to send him to IIT. Okay. <laughs> that is my idea. I'm not saying that I going to IIT is bad. No, no. Please don't misunderstand misunderstand me at all. No. I mean I wish that all our children study hard and they go to good places, good universities. But <laughs> Lord, what do you want me for my you want for my child? Very, very difficult, especially for me. Not very not very difficult for my wife. For my wife, it's okay. Vijay, don't have to pressure them so much. But for me, when I look at one mistake in the math and I'm already looking at the entrance exam. Because that is how I've been trained. If you are able, not able to solve 1 by 3 plus 1 by 2, what shall happen when they ask you that question in optics in the entrance exam? And your rank will be 10 to the power of negative, uh, no, not, not negative, 10 to the power of 28. I have to be searching for your rank in the rank list. So, when, so 
that is how I'm, I'm trying, I'm like, okay, this mistake over here, where is this ending? Okay. So that is how I think. Just relax. Let them enjoy. You know, we had this uh, people who came to our uh, school for inspection. You know, for me, uh, if I'm with a student, I have time till 11 o'clock, I have to leave. Okay. So I make them sit. I said, you want to take a break? No break. Okay. Sit with me. Study. So after a while, this lady who came to inspect, she came to me and she said, Pastor, uh, can I uh, give you a suggestion? Let them relax. Why are you behind their backs? <laughs> you see, that is how we've been trained. So I'll say I'm always already already thinking what what Abigail should do. I mean, like the she, the other day, uh, one of her friends uh, asked her, "What are you doing in summer?" She said, "Day and night, I'll be doing hall and night." I, I thought she got she got that from Pastor James. No, day and night I'll be doing hall and night. Okay, uh, so my father said day and night hall and night. You see, that is how we think. I mean, I'm not saying that it is wrong per se. It's a good thing. Especially, I, I feel uh, you should uh, encourage and 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 challenge our children to not to settle for medioc- me- mediocrity. Okay, because th- these days they have what they are graduating from. Class 2 to class 3. So what do they have? A graduating gown. A graduating gown, bro. I got it when I was in my master's. And I had to earn it. When I finished my master's. No, they are graduating from class 2 to class 3. Class 1 to class 2. They call it a graduation ceremony. What strange ways to celebrate mediocrity, huh? Really, honestly. What I'm saying, that, but we have, what, what, there, is, there is definitely, I'm not, I'm not saying that we are, we are, we should settle for mediocrity, but what is our focus? Lord, they should be on fire for you. They should seek you. They should be like Joseph, who is used to a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. Who deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Who has a hold on their appetites. Because there are only two languages that they understand. Pleasure and pain. So that let, let me guide their pleasures. So that they enjoy God and not something else. See, we are not delivered from the world. We are not delivered from the world. You see, somebody said, an attitude of a Christian is revealed at the time of marriages. No? What do you call? Peli chupulu. Marriage alliances. What are you? A tall, handsome, six feet, Chaudhary Christian. What is that? What, is, what, 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 what Christian? Chaudhary Christian. Looking for a fair, lovely, beautiful, six-figure salary, Chaudhary girl who is born again. What, what comes first? Chaudhary. Cast. Kulam. What Kulam? There, you think about it. Have you seen marriage alliances? If you if you look at the marriage alliance column for, for Christians, you have to hang your head in shame. 
Like yesterday, Pastor was saying, no? So many people with a, with a hidden beauty of an incorruptible, quiet and, an, with a, and a meek spirit are overlooked because young men have been brainwashed by the standards of this world. I'm not saying that God will uh, bring into your life a person who's not, not, he knows you, no? He knows what you want. He is a father. He wants the best for you. But he says, you know what? My best is your best. At, during these marriage alliances, everything comes into, comes into the, into the open. All those hidden things will come out. Which cast, bank balance, dowry. Which day, I mean, you, you should go to Andhra. They will also ask, they will go to the pastor and they will say, Pastor, marriage alliance, which date? After the pastor gives the date, they will go to the Om Namah Sivaya. And they will ask, is this a good day? Is there any bad omen on that day? These are Christians. I'm not joking. This is this is happening in Christendom in Andhra in Telangana. And what do we say? Light to the world. Living in darkness. Think about it. So many of our traditions, worldly traditions, Till now I don't understand. You know, there's a, there's still some Christians they follow Pendikuturu, Pendlik Koduku Chedam. And what do they do? They put turmeric on your face from top to bottom. What is that? Where did you get that process from? Where? You see, so many of our patterns are you delivered from the world? How can we become followers of God unless we are delivered from the from our old man, from the law, and from the world? And we are interested in the inner life. What God looks as precious, not the outward trappings. We need God to do a work in our hearts. These are serious questions. What is your background? The first thing they used to ask me, you know, what is your last name? I used to wonder why they used to ask me for my last name. Then, oh, Ithakota. I, I remember when I was in Lothkunta, we were staying in Lothkunta. There was a, uh, a, a Hindu family just next door. They they had some work with us. They came, they came and knocked at our door and they said, hi, hi, welcome to the neighborhood and everything. And uh, he, he, sat on, he sat on a chair and he said, what is your name, uh, Mr. He said, I said, my name is Vijay. Uh, what is your last name? I said, Itakota. Itakota? Oh, from which place? And already he's calculating the tribe, the clan, the caste. Okay. And then I told him also, what, 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 Mirenti, Mirenti, Mirenti. You know what Mirenti? You know what Mirenti means, no? I said, I'm a Christian. You should see the face. His face dropped. Understand? We are still not delivered. That has to 
there has the God has to do a work in our hearts. Let's move on. First, delivered from the old man, delivered from the law, delivered from the world. Third, delivered from the power of this age. A lot of people are delivered from the law. They're delivered from the flesh. They're delivered from the attitudes of this world. They still want inner beauty, but they're still trapped in this life. They still want good life now. Galatians chapter 1, look at what it says in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present, what age? Evil age? This evil time? Think about it. How many of us can actually, honestly get prepared for our death? My goodness, think about it. I mean, Paul's statements are staggering. For me to live is Christ and death is? Whoa! What a statement! Death is gain! You know why? Because I'm waiting for my resurrected body. I'm waiting for my eternal home. I'm waiting to see my Jesus Christ. I want to be with him forever and ever. When will I be released from this body? But I also have a race for your sake. You see, our face or rather our eyes have to be on our race. But our preparation should be for eternity. Unfortunately, what happens to many Christians? Philippians chapter 3, look at what it says. Brothers, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the what? Of the cross. Why? Look at the next verse. Why? Because their end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on what things? Earthly things. This life. And that is the reason why the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 19, if in this life only you have hope in Christ Jesus of all the people, you're what? The most miserable ought to be pitied. Look at what one sad example of a man who walked with, 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 with uh, Paul to the end of his life, almost to the end of his life, almost to the end. How do I know this man? I'll, I'll show you. Philemon chapter one. And when Philemon is written, Paul is already a very old man. Look at what it says. This is not my words. Philemon verse nine. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged old man is at the end of his life where he's still bearing fruit because Onesimus was chained to him and he converted him. The aged and now as a prisoner of so he's at the end of his life. Who is alongside him at the end of his life? Philemon chapter 1 verse 23. This is not 9 verse 23. Epaphras my fellow prisoner of Jesus Christ greets you as do Mark as do Aristarchus and Demas Luke, my fellow and my fellow laborers. Who are they? Demas is there. Mark is there. Aristarchus is there. Epaphras is there. And Luke is there. See, I'll tell you. There are four kinds of loyalties. First, what I call as fierce loyalty. What loyalty? Fierce loyalty. These these are those uh, soldiers of David who will say, you know, when David says, you know what, I wish I could drink from the waters of Bethlehem. Who will risk their lives just because they hurt their master. And they are fiercely loyal to him. And they will risk their lives. They will go through the Philistines territory. Draw the water from the, from the from Bethlehem. Get it to David and give it to him. That is fierce loyalty. There are about 30 people. Including Uriah. Then there is fierce loyal. Then there is loyal. What, what is that? Loyal people. 
What, the, what are these people? Loyal people, but they are not fiercely loyal, meaning they don't have the ability to show their loyalty. This is what I call the Mephibosheth kind. What is this Mephibosheth kind? When David is, you know, leaves Jerusalem, remember? He leaves Jerusalem and Ziba comes and gives a bad report about what? About Mephibosheth. And David was very upset as to why Mephibosheth is not with him. And then Mephibosheth says, no, you know, when you are, when you are gone, your master, your, your servant grew a beard and I was, uh, I was praying for you. I was hoping that you would come back, but he has no ability to show his loyalty. Even though he's loyal, he's loyal. They are fierce loyal people. They are loyal people. They are a loyal people. What loyal people? A loyal means they are either neither loyal nor disloyal. They are just waiting to take the jump. This is what we call as the Exactly, Joab kind. Exactly, Joab kind. Not even Agitopel. Agitopel is like fiercely disloyal, okay? He's the Joab kind. He's waiting, 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 waiting. Wait, where is your opportunity? Okay, okay, fine. Agitopel is there. Absalom is there. But I don't think he's got the odds in favor against David. So let me wait, 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 wait. And then one day, when Adonijah wants to become the king, he switches loyalty, what we call as the A-loyal kind. You know what? David says, I cannot do anything with the sons of Zeruah. I cannot do anything with these fellows. Because they are neither loyal nor disloyal. We do not know. There are such kinds of people on the earth. Even in the church, there are people who are fiercely fiercely loyal and people who are loyal and they are a-loyal. And the fourth kind, disloyal. These are the Jewish, these are the Judas kind. So Mephibosheth falls under the, what kind of people? The loyal people who cannot show their loyalty. But then there is the demos kind. Who are these? One day. He is there till the end of the apostle Paul's life. And look, look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. Be diligent to come to me. For Demas has forsaken me having loved this present what? Age. It's over. So which kind are we? Fiercely loyal, or loyal, or a-loyal, or fiercely disloyal. This is like, you know, those people who are one day Congress, next day BJP, next day Congress, next day BJP, we do not know. One day hearth, next day they will give hearth. Which kind? Turncoats. As we call them. So the cross delivers me from this age. And he makes me fiercely loyal to God. Until the end. Okay. Cross has to do that. So. Cross delivers me from the from the old man. From the law. From the world. And fourth one. It delivers me from this present age. Fifth one. It delivers me from the power of darkness. And makes me a witness of the light. What does it do? It makes me a witness of the light. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And conveyed us into the kingdom of his son. Of his love. In whom we have redemption. Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. What does he do? He has translated us into the kingdom of light. Now, what do, we, what, what do we do now? We are not witnesses of the light. We are light. This is not what, my, these are not my words. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 4 onwards. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You're all sons of light. Sons of the day. We are not 
of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep or as others do, but let us watch and be sober. You know why? Because we are what? Sons of light and we are actually light in the Lord. So we become witnesses of the light. We are not afraid because we have been delivered from the accusations of the enemy. We have been delivered from the powers of darkness. We have been delivered. All the armory of the devil against us has been delivered because God has nailed it on the cross and he has disarmed principalities and powers and made them into a public open shame in the spiritual realm. So what? We become what? Witnesses of the light. Okay? For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know what? This is basically, you're ready for battle. You know why? Because you know, you're a child of light and you do not be, have to be afraid of the devil because enemy can come and throw anything at you. But you already know that you have been justified and you have been made right with God. Therefore, the enemy has no power over our lives. So we've been delivered from the powers of darkness. And finally, we've been delivered from the curse and, and God has made us into a blessing. And how does God do that? Galatians chapter 3. Let's read this and let us finish. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Okay. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We might receive the what? The promise. For what? Why should we receive the promise of the Spirit? Why should God fill us with the Holy Spirit? Why should He anoint us with the Holy Spirit so that He can be, that we can become what? A blessing. I will bless you. And I will make you a blessing. So it says in Acts chapter 10, verse number 38. Acts chapter 10, verse number 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power. And what did he do? He went about doing good, becoming a blessing for others. So God, what does God do? He delivers from the curse and makes me into a blessing. Six things I looked at. First. It delivers from the, from the old man and makes us people who yield to God. Second, it delivers us from the law. It makes us people who bear fruit unto God. Third, it makes delivers us from the world and makes us people who are not interested in the outward, but who are interested in the inward. It delivers from the present evil age and prepares us for the age to come. Fifth, it delivers us from the powers of darkness and makes us children of light. And sixth, it delivers us from the curse and makes us into a blessing. So what do we need this morning? We need a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can continue to be a blessing in other people's lives. Titus chapter 3. This is what it says. Titus chapter 3 and we'll learn. <clears throat> but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And what did He do? After He, after he renewed us with the Holy Spirit, this is what He does. Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And what do we become? Once we receive the Holy Spirit, we become a blessing into other people's life. We become people who are fruitful. We become people who want to share the gospel with others. We want people to come into the kingdom of God. We, people, we say, Lord, let make my life into a witness. When, when people see me, they will ask me for the reason, for the hope that is inside, inside of me. And you will give me an opportunity to witness Christ. You know what happens? I will become an evangelist wherever I am. 
wherever I am, whatever situation, my heart will be that I should become a blessing to others. So that these are the footsteps of Jesus. He delivered us on the cross. He gave us forgiveness of sins. That's the first thing. Forgiveness of sins. Freely. Forgave all of our sins and he redeemed us. Second, he took away the root of sin. That is the old nature inside of us. Third, he delivered us from the law. We do not no longer have a set of rules. We are married to Jesus Christ and this is a happy marriage. Third, he delivered us from this world and the worldly ideas and worldly thought patterns. Fifth, he delivered us from this age so that our concentration will be on eternity and not on this life. Sixth, he delivered us so that we, we, we no longer become what? A curse to others, but become a blessing to others. So these, this morning, even as we heard here in the house of the Lord, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. How does he, how does he make you? By applying his cross into each area of our lives. Therefore, this morning, yield. Yield your members and say, Lord, I want to give my ears and my tongue only to you. Once I give my ears and once I give my tongue, every other organ will follow. My eyes will follow. My body will follow. Because whoever has my ear has my body. Right? Whoever has my ear has my body. Sister, what's your name? Ritu. Right? Ritu, can you come here? She heard me. Now what is she doing? She's moving her body. Why? Because she heard me. I have her ear and therefore I have her entire being. You see, whoever has your ear, has your body. Give your tongue to God. Make this as an instrument of thanksgiving, praise and proclamation. Your life will be set. Knowing that our old man is crucified. This morning, let us stand up in the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to go through this season of Lent as the church calls it. Yes, some seasons are good. You know, Muslims have their Ramadan. Okay, That is a tradition. But Lent should not be a tradition. Some traditions are good if it reminds us of what God has done for us and so that through the rest of the year we can live, live with that kind of an attitude in our hearts. Let us surrender our lives afresh to the moving of God in our lives. Father, I just want to thank you for your cross because of which you freely forgave me. You judged your son and gave me forgiveness of my sins. Lord, you took away the root of sin by crucifying my old man. You took away the the power of the law by making me die to the law. You took away the power of this world. Made me interested in that inner life. You delivered me from the power of this age and made me a man who thinks of eternity. You delivered me from the powers of darkness. So that I can witness light. You delivered me Lord. From the curse. So that I can become a blessing. Not just that I will have a blessing. But I will become a blessing to others. And this morning I pray Lord. The cross. Before us. The world. Behind us. Peter did not want to have it, Lord. And he began to rebuke you. 
But you said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And you said, Lord, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. And we can only deny ourselves, O Lord, when the cross of Jesus Christ does its work in our lives and not for us. Yes, you died for our sins. But deliver us, O Lord, from the power of our sinful nature. You want to make us fruitful. And therefore, Lord, you took away the law from our lives and made us be joined to Christ in one spirit. You took away the world, made us interested in the inner life. And I pray, Father, truly, we will be a people, O Lord, who are, in, who are interested in the inward reality and not the external trappings, O Lord. And we will be truly people who will have our eyes and our minds on eternity and not be trapped by the trappings of this age like Demas. Even in this last time, Lord, in the last hour, he gave up and he went back. And your word says that just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul will not have pleasure in him. I pray, Father, that we will not be people who are disloyal to you, but we will be people who are fiercely loyal until the end. Like Epaphras, Lord. Fiercely loyal. Not just loyal, but fiercely loyal. Loyal, but have lameness in our spirit. We cannot be helpful to you, O Lord. We cannot be a blessing to your, to your kingdom, O Lord Jesus. We have to be delivered from our lameness. Whatever causes us to be lame in the spirit, O Lord, deliver us. So that truly, Lord, we can be people who will give our lives and be fiercely loyal until the end. So that truly, Lord, we can be witnesses of the light because you delivered us from the power of Satan, from the power of darkness and translated us in the kingdom of his son, which is the light. Thank you, Lord, for becoming a curse on the cross so that, Lord, we could receive your spirit and become a blessing to others. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And the same anointing which was upon Jesus is upon is available for each one of us. So that we can become people who will do good and become a blessing to others. Lord, do your work in our lives. Do your work in our hearts. Do, do your work in our minds. Let this mind be in us. As was in Christ Jesus. This mind which will be interested in others rather than themselves. This morning, Father, do your work. Do your work. Not just this morning. Even in the coming days. Even as we listen to your word. Even as we come to, to the service, O oh Lord. Week after week, I pray, Father, that Lord, we will not go back the same. We will receive faiths through the preaching of the word and we'll become witnesses of your life. In him was life, your word says. And that life was the light of men. And that same life, Lord, you gave to us so that our life we can, can become the light of others as well, to others as well. Do that in each one of our lives. Even as we surrender, O oh Lord. Even as we surrender this morning. 
Jesus, do your work in our hearts. Do your work in our minds. Deliver us, O Lord, from the power of this age. Enable us to be people who are fiercely loyal, even unto the end. Because we do not have another option, O Lord. Because your word says, O Lord, he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Your word says he who is not with me is against me, O Lord. That's what your word says. I pray, Father, we'll not be people who are a-loyal. We'll be people, O Lord, who are absolutely loyal to you, even until the end. Faithful to God. Faithful to our families. And faithful to the body in which you placed us in. To that end, I pray that you bless us this morning. Anoint us, O Lord. Empower us, O Lord. And even as we go back into this world, through this week, enable us, Lord Jesus, to be people who will emanate that life to others. And when people ask a reason, the reason for the hope which is in us, we will be able to give an answer to them with meekness and with fear. Not to flatter, but we'll be able to speak the truth. But we'll be able to speak the truth in love. To that end, I pray that you bless each and every one of us this morning. And even through the coming days, O Lord. Oh, Father, let not this season be a waste. Enable us to seek you. Enable us to set our hearts to seek you, O Lord. In prayer, in fasting, in seeking your your, your face and your direction in our lives. Thank you, Father. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a lovely time of fellowship.